Well, yesterday, uh, my wife turned 35 years old. She's right here in the front row. Give her a hand. Halfway to 70. And uh, so I was... I asked her, and I'm 35 too, I'm not, I'm not throwing shade or anything like that. I asked her, uh, was her life at 35 what she thought it would be when she turned 35? And I can't tell you her answer in church uh, because it's inappropriate, less because of language and more because of just utter existential dread. And, uh, you know, there's, I don't know, I, I felt the same way. I turned 35 back in May, and I don't know what it is about that age in particular, but it just kind of, for both of us, it's just kind of like, oh, my gosh. And, and I don't know, it's different for everybody. There's, a, there's usually, it's usually late 20s to mid, maybe late 30s, and you kind of hit this point where the, there's this massive gap between, I don't know, at least for me, a massive gap between the expectation of what I thought I would be <laughs> at this point in my life, or where, what the vision I had way back in my younger days, and then reality. So you have like expectations you used to have over here, and then you have the reality, and once you see how big that gap is, or maybe sometimes how that gap is growing, uh, you start to kind of get this little bit of, oh my gosh, what is happening? Are we the only ones that have that dread, or is anyone else uh, just completely, <laughs> okay, good, there's one other, two other people, yes, we're not the only nihilist, depressed people in here. So anyway, yeah, no, that, that, that's uh, hard. I mean, any stage of life, when you have an expectation, it could be marriage, it could be kids, you have expectation, and then you have reality. And depending on how big that gap is between those things, um, it can, it can kind of shake you up a little bit because it's frustrating knowing that change is hard. You want to get there, but change and getting there is, is really tough. And so usually around this time, it's when people start some kind of new hobby or they go to a new gym or they get a new job or they get a new church or they get more politically active, or they, they you know, start distracting themselves. They start kind of just numbing themselves with entertainment or with some sort of addiction or hobbies. Anything to avoid confronting that gap between expectation and reality and dealing with the fact that I'm not who I thought I was. I don't know what that answer to you is. If you had a blank there, it says, I thought by now I'd be... What is that for you? You don't have to say it out loud because that's probably going to be depressing. But do you have one of those? Do you have a, I thought by now I'd be, I don't know if you do or not. Some of us probably do. You may be saying, Justin, this is a really depressing way to start a sermon. Um, and I would say to you, read the book of Ecclesiastes. It gets worse. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a whole lot more. But, but in all seriousness, this happens in our spiritual lives too. We have expectations about who we're supposed to be spiritually, but then there's reality. Like, like I thought by now that, you know, I, I'd be past this by now. I, I thought I'd be able to forgive. I thought I'd be in a deeper place spiritually. I thought I'd know more about the Bible. I thought I would be more spiritually mature. And a few weeks back, we talked about, uh, you know, some thoughts on on this, this friend of mine who said, you know, as I texted something on social media, she, she, she sent, uh, sent me this text. She said, Justin, you know, I believe this so much in my head. I just don't know how to get it into my heart. 
And that, that's a feeling many of us, I'm sure, have had. Like we have the cognitive reality of what we believe about God or what we believe we should be in light of God, but then getting that down the 18 inches into our heart, into who we are and the way that we live our lives, that's a much harder journey. I know it in my head, I just can't figure out how to get that moving in my life. And that, that's really the question of discipleship that we're talking about, is the journey from our head to our heart, the journey from knowledge to, to lifestyle, knowledge to actually living this way out. This is what this whole series, Practicing Jesus, is all about. We started with Ma- in Matthew 7, Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and believes them no, he actually doesn't say that. He says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The storms will come, the storms of life, reality sits, expectations aren't met. So what is the foundation? What is the bedrock of our lives? Jesus says it's when we not, not only hear his words, not only know about God, but we actually put into practice the things he's teaching us to do. He's calling us to be his disciple, meaning that it's more than just the head knowledge that I'm stuffing down into my head. In Matthew 11, later on, he continues to speak into this reality, uh, and he's, he's in the context of some very legalistic people, in the context of the Jews and the Pharisees, and they believe that if you, you follow God's law perfectly, everyone in Israel, if they follow God's law perfectly, then the Messiah would come. And so there's this burden constantly of always looking over my shoulder, walking on eggshells spiritually, because if I can get it right, maybe God will come. And into that reality, Jesus speaks these words that I know many of us have heard before, but let's hear them again in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, there's a lot of layers of historical understanding we need to talk about, namely what he's talking about when he says yoke. What he's not talking about is the middle of your egg that you ate this morning. Um, He's talking about something different. In in, in Jesus's day, he's talking about a a wooden and metal leather harness. There's going to be a picture up here you can see of one of these. So back in the day, this is just an older example of what a yoke is. And what you would do is you would place two animals in there and you would use it to pull either a plow or some sort of equipment for, for farming, for agriculture. And then the typical practice was is you would, you would put a, an older, more experienced animal on one side and you would partner them with a younger, less experienced animal so that younger, less experienced animal could learn and understand how to just live into the rhythms of this. Because as you know, as you start something new, especially a younger animal would probably buck around and want to run off and everything. And they're going to learn from the steadiness, the faithfulness of the older, wiser, more experienced animal. So that was intentional in the way farmers did that in Jesus's day. And so the rabbis in Jesus's day picked up on this idea, picked up on this metaphor, and that's what they called their interpretation and practices of the Bible, the way they saw the world. They called it their yoke. 
And so any rabbi that was inviting people to come and be their disciples was, was saying, not only just follow me, but you're taking upon with you my yoke, my interpretation of the scriptures, my interpretation of reality, and the practices, therefore, that I live my life as a result. And so Jesus, in Jesus' day, as I said, many of these teachers were putting incredibly heavy burdens on people. Because if they believe that reality, if you believe this perfectly, then finally the Messiah will show up. Imagine the burden that day in and day out, the perfectionism that you have to live with on a daily basis thinking, it depends on me. God's presence depends on how good I do. See, in reality, all of us here today, no matter how religious you are or are not, you have a yoke on you. You have a yoke on you. It's maybe something, it may be someone, it's some sort of teaching or, or, or the way that you see and interpret your reality and the expectations then that come about as a result of that reality, the yoke that you put upon yourself. Maybe it's the yoke of the American dream. That you are supposed to be successful, and if you're not successful, if you can't meet up to that reality, that's the expectations that are put upon you. Maybe for some of you moms, it's the yoke of perfect motherhood, of Instagram world, where you have to look and act and be beautiful and perfect all the dang time. That comes with expectations and realities as well. Maybe it's the yoke of your family's happiness that have expectations that are put on you. Maybe it's the yoke of convincing yourself that you're free and you don't actually have a yoke and that's actually a yoke. All of us, whether we're religious or not, we have some way, something that we're pulling along that forms the basis of how we see reality. And whatever that is, I don't know what that is for you, whatever is on you, Jesus speaks to us, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think one of the biggest issues we have in the church is that when we try to put on the yoke that Jesus offers, this light burden that he promises, we wonder why it doesn't fit, and it's because we still have the old yoke on. We're still seeing our world through the process of the American dream or whatever other expectations and realities, and two yokes just won't fit on top of one another. We don't realize that we have a different worldview. We don't realize that we have different practices that have formed within us that just don't fit Jesus' easy and light burden and his yoke. So why does he call it light? Why does he call it easy? I know maybe you've experienced the Christian life and you think it doesn't feel easy. It doesn't feel light. That's the question we're going to ask today. See, discipleship is less about the yoke of Jesus being something that we do on our own and something Jesus takes with us. Discipleship is learning to be like Jesus by being with Jesus, that Jesus is in the yoke with us. What we need on a regular basis then is to learn from the practices of Jesus. Learn how Jesus actually lived his life just like we're in the yoke with him and watch him, learn from him his processes and what he's doing through his life so we can take that upon ourselves. We need these regular, consistent practices all the time. 
In his book, uh, The Eternal Current, Aaron Nyquist, he says this. uh, I love this illustration. He says, imagine a woman who struggled with her self-image who decided to take a step forward and sign up at the local fitness center. She goes and the fitness staff greets her at the door with a friendly smile and brochure. And for the first 90 minutes, a U2 cover band plays and entertains until a charismatic personal trainer gets up and gives an inspirational talk about fitness. The woman left excited and encouraged. She thought she was going to come back for weeks. But after a while, she noticed that she wasn't, she was getting inspired, but she wasn't getting healthy. She had lots of good information, but no one had invited her into the workout room. No one had given her the skills and practices she needed to become what she learned about. So you get what Aaron Nyquist is saying? That when we walk into churches sometimes, we get into these places and we get excited about the idea of growth, and sometimes we don't allow ourselves to actually step into the very practices, the tools that we need to change. A lecture about fitness is not going to get you healthy, is it? Just like a lecture or a sermon about Jesus is not going to help you grow. We need regular and consistent practices. We need paradigm shifts that help us not just hear his words, not just hear what is being said on Sunday or is being said in your Bible study at home. We need real life practice. Henry Nouwen says, you don't think your way into a new kind of living. You live your way into a new kind of thinking. I want to say that again because that's huge, friends. This is huge. You don't think your way into a new kind of living. You live your way into a new kind of thinking. So what's that look like? What, what, what is the, the practices what's the, the, that we undertake that move our, our, our realities from our heads to our hearts? We call these practices in the church, we call them spiritual disciplines. Now, as I say spiritual disciplines, some of you just gagged or choked on spit in your mouth and said, I got to get out of here. Because especially the idea of discipline, it sounds, that doesn't sound like a light burden. That doesn't sound easy. I've heard of spiritual disciplines, and it sounds like the, the hard stuff, the advanced Christianity that you're supposed to do to make God happy. And when you do this, God shows up. Stuff like that. That's what I at least used to understand when I heard the word spiritual distance. But it's actually backwards. We've got this whole thing flipped on its head. It's it's realizing here and now that God's already here. He's here. That no matter how much I pray or read my Bible or do all these sort of things, that it's not doing it to get God to get here. It's doing it to help us get here. To help us realize that God is more present than we could ever dream. I like to call it this way. Spiritual disciplines are are regular, intentional practices that help us to be present with Jesus just as he is present with us. It's not doing things to get God to show up. It's doing things in order for our hearts and our minds to be open to the fact that God is already here. And over time, these practices, they begin to form us, just like we sang earlier. They form Christ-likeness in us, not by what we're doing, but by who we are being with. 
in these practices. So what are some of these practices? I want to break them down. There are two different types of spiritual disciplines. There's, there's personal disciplines for us, and there's community disciplines. And listen, I'm not going to come close to getting to all that we could talk about in this topic. I mean, I, there's, there's resources in your program this week on the back, some books that I highly, highly recommend if you want to take some next steps in this. But we're just going to take a 20,000 feet flyover of this idea real quick. But the first one here is personal disciplines, the one that we do on our own throughout the week. And and, uh, there's things like prayer, Bible study, and that's Bible study, that's Bible meditation, Bible reading, all of these things, being in the scriptures. Those are the two that most everybody's familiar with, right? Read your Bible and pray. You want to grow, read your Bible and pray. But there's also some less popular disciplines, at least less evangelical main American church disciplines like fasting and solitude and silence and Sabbath that that have profound impacts on our lives. We need all of them. We need Jesus to be experienced not just in in two or three, but in all of these things. We we get to experience Jesus in, in so many different ways. In fact, you ever gone to a gym or seen somebody that has these just giant arms like massive Hulk Hogan arms, but their legs are about as big around as like a, a, a drumstick. You know what I'm talking about? Because all they do is, I'm not pointing at you, big arms over there, but the, uh, the, like you see them and they're like that because all they do is they pump iron, they get their arms huge, but they never work out their legs, they never work out the rest of their body. I think that's where a lot of us are with Bible study and prayer. Like we Bible study and prayer, we Bible study and prayer, we Bible, and it's good. Like all big arms like this are good to have. I know, right? Don't, don't stare too long. But, but there's other exercises that help us become fully healthy. Things like solitude and silence and fasting and, 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 and things like that, the things that, that we don't normally think of, those things help us grow and, and become uh, fully like Christ-like in ways that we didn't experience before. You probably know, you know Bible study and prayer, and I hope you continue to do that. But let me tell you, in the last few years, the, th- the places I've experienced God the most were in times of intentional solitude and silence. And not praying like big giant prayers and not reading big giant hunks of scripture, but maybe taking one or two verses and just kind of breathing in and breathing out and allowing these, these passages to kind of settle into me. Because I need to make sure in these moments I'm not here just for knowledge. That's my natural inclination. I just want to learn more and then I'll feel like I'm growing. I need to settle in and say this is not for me to learn how I can learn more about God. I need to be with God. And that's what the disciplines are for, not to learn or to to do things to impress God, but to be with him. Those are personal disciplines. But then you also have community disciplines, things that we practice together that shape us. There's things like worship, like sharing meals, like giving, like serving our neighbors, accountability and vulnerability and guidance in relationships and city groups and and community as we get together and we say, how are you living? Are you okay? How can I get into your life? How can I share the burdens of your life with you? How can I help you discern what God is doing in your life and what the next steps may be? Those are community disciplines as well. Things that we have to commit ourselves to that over time as we do them consistently begin to form us. 
I don't know if you know this or not, but, but everything we do on Sunday here, like as we plan this with Hannah and me and the team and, and the folks that are involved, uh, we're not just doing it to inspire you or, or entertain you. Like we pray every week this forms you. This is something that shapes you, not just informs you, but truly and deeply forms you. Because that's discipleship. Things that begin to move us and and form us into the likeness of Jesus. It's why when we're singing a song like, you give me joy, and, and I guarantee you, maybe I'm wrong, somebody might have walked in here today that didn't feel real joyous. Don't raise your hand. But the more and more that we come in here and sing songs that maybe we don't feel but get reinforced within us, begin to form us, even if we're not singing, they begin to shape us in ways that we don't know. I had someone came to me uh, a couple weeks ago and told me, he's like, I just want you to know as you're up there and maybe you see me, I don't sing. I just stand there and I probably look bored and I probably look like I'm not into it. He said, but I just need you to know God is working in me in really profound ways. Even though I'm not singing or, or, or throwing my hands up in the air, it's just not me, and I love it that people do that, but, but God is shaping me, and he's like, I love worship. It probably looks like I'm miserable, but I love worship because God is doing something in me. All of these things, both personal and community disciplines, they are given to us in order to form us into the image of Jesus, not just as individuals, but as a community. But here's the thing. They have to be done, like I said, regularly and consistently. If you go to the gym 12 times a year, you're not going to be in shape. <laughs> I know. <laughs> The things we do spiritually, just like with our physical bodies, we won't be shaped and formed unless they're regular and consistent and intentional. And so some weeks, let me tell you, we don't feel like going to city group or hosting city group because our week is terrible, but we do it because we know we need it more than what we feel like. All of these things over time, not to impress God, not to impress one another. They begin to form us by being with Jesus in order to become like Jesus. Because even if you read your Bible every day and you pray for hours and you meditate and you worship and you come to church every single weekend, you go to city group, you do all of that and yet it's for God and not to be with God, then it's empty. And you're going to burn out. And you'll get really religiously busy and you will burn out fast, I promise you. You see, you don't practice spiritual disciplines to get what you don't have. You practice spiritual disciplines, friends, to take a hold of the abundance that you already have. You don't have to impress God with what you're doing. And I know the fear around this conversation. I have this fear is that this can get legalistic because you can come to me and say, I'm... Have you, how much of your Bible have you read this week? Well, I haven't read that much. And then you just go over here and get discouraged. And this guy read the whole book of First Samuel this week. Like, whoa, Mr. Mr. Seminary over here. And, and, you know, you start kind of comparing yourselves. And it, gets, it, it starts kind of, you know, forming in you this idea that, well, if I don't meet this certain standard, then, then I, I, I maybe I, I am not going to impress God. And maybe God's not going to. And you get discouraged. And when you get discouraged, you don't feel like God's anywhere around you. And you just kind of give up. 
And you just sporadically do it whenever you feel like it, and then you wonder five years down the road why you haven't really grown. I know I felt that. If that feels like what discipleship has been for you, that is false. In fact, that's the yoke that Jesus came to break off of you, not to put on you. Jesus did not come to give you the yoke of try a little bit harder. He did not come to give you the yoke of, man, you haven't read your Bible enough this week or you haven't prayed enough. Jesus came to give you the easy yoke that says, come to me. All who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because what makes Jesus' burden light is that when you look at your yoke, Jesus is the one in the yoke with you. You're not pulling this on your own. On your own, yeah, this is burden is heavy, but you're not walking in prayer, you're not walking in worship, you're not walking in, in, in Bible study, you're not doing any of the, these things on your own. If you do them on your own, it will be a heavy burden. But when you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, when I open up my scriptures, I'm, I'm stepping into this yoke with you. You're doing the heavy lifting here. When I'm praying, Jesus, I don't have the words, and so, so, so you, I'm, I'm with you in this yoke. Walk with me. Show me. Teach me how to pray, because I don't even know what to say here. Jesus, when I try to go into solitude, and I keep looking at my phone over and over again, I need to sit it down. Just be in this yoke with me. Walk with me. That's the good news. You don't carry the heavy load when you're walking in the yoke of Jesus. Jesus is carrying that load, and that's what makes it light. It's partnering with God. Discipleship is partnering with God for my transformation. Here's how Paul describes this in Philippians 2. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, real quick, if you stop there, that sounds like a heavy burden. Because it sounds like, dude... Get your act together. Work it out. But that's not where Paul stops. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Then he says, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. That's the partnership that Jesus is calling us to, the yoke that we step into together Work it out. Step into this reality of the spiritual disciplines of seeking out the presence of God, of cultivating the life of Jesus in your life, not because you are alone, not because if you don't, God won't show up. Do it because in this partnership, God is already at work. This is the good news today. There's nothing you can do that starts God's work in you. He's already doing it. He brought you here today. God is at work right now in you. You might be thinking, stop. I don't want him to. Like, uh, he's at work right now in you in ways that you cannot see. And maybe in some ways you can see. But I guarantee you in ways you can't see. It's no accident that you're here. 
It's no accident that God's stirring things in your heart, in your mind. There's no accident that you're having these questions. It's no accident that you're taking timid step by timid step forward to see what faith might actually be like. God is already at work. You don't have to start that. So our job then is to step into the reality, step into the yoke of Jesus and say, all right, Lord, I'm here to do it with you. You're already at work in me and around me. So just let me open myself up to that. And that's the prayer for for us today. Are you open to that? Are you open to what God is already doing in you? And open to the things that we can cultivate in our lives with these practices of Jesus that begin to shape us. What God is going to do through you, he's first going to do in you. And that changes everything when we see that. He starts with us just simply being with him. So what I want to do today is just pray for us. And as we come into a time of, of, um, of response, I hope that the message to you, to you here today is not, gosh, I got to walk, I got to pray more. <laughs> oh man. What God wants you to hear today is, I just want to be with you. And so here's a bunch of ways to do that. There's a bunch of ways to experience me and to recognize that I'm already here and I'm already at work with you. So Jesus, thank you for taking upon this yoke with us. Thank you that the burden is easy and light because you carry the heavy load of our hearts. So help us today to begin a journey of stepping into a life with you, of learning how to be like you, not by trying hard, but simply by being with you. So Jesus, this, this time here now, as we respond in communion, as we respond in worship and prayer, whatever that may be, I pray against the spirit of legalism or religion, and I pray that your Father's heart would come through so clearly that all you want is just to be with us. You want to give us ways to experience the fullness of you, the abundance of you, more than we've experienced so far. You just want more for us. So Jesus, help us to take hold of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We celebrate